0: Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives with regards to our identities. We open our hearts today, Lord, to your teaching, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you may be our teacher. Come and enlighten us. Come and expose us to your word. Come and transform us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's really a privilege to be sharing with you today and we continue to talk about decoupling from pseudo-identities and today what we're going to focus on is the judge-critic. There's that judge-critic in many of us that is not your identity in Christ and when we begin to master the art of understanding how we learned certain behavior, it becomes easier for us to unlearn that behavior. I want to first address those who've been wounded by the judge critic. Maybe you've been judged before. Maybe you felt so condemned. Maybe you felt the constant critic in your life, which is actually a form of bullying, right? Remember that God is the ultimate judge. God is the ultimate judge. And don't give too much power to other people's words over you. You see, God's words should always trump other people's words. Okay. God has loved you and he's chosen to give himself wholly to you. All right. Often when we speak on topics like this, it sparks off all sorts of hurt and pain and anguish. Okay. Especially when you've been on the receiving end of some of the things I'm going to be talking about. I like what A.W. Tozer once said, an infinite God can give all of himself to his children. All of himself to his children. He does not distribute himself that each may have a part, but to each one he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no others. Isn't that so, so powerful? You see, God warns us about what we do with our tongues, what we say with our words, because he knows the damage that words can have. On people, see, the enemy wants us to go around so wounded by other people's words because hurt people hurt others. So if you've been on the receiving end of the judge critic, I encourage you, I implore you to forgive and to release and to wash yourself with the word of God, okay, so that you're no longer controlled by other people's words and other people's opinions of you. But this message is specifically for the judge critic that lies within each of us, or at least many of us, okay? And I would encourage you to really open your hearts as I share this message with you, okay? I know the tendency sometimes when we listen to these kinds of talks, these kinds of sermons, is to think, oh, so-and-so, I must share this message with this person because they're really a judge critic, okay? But let's focus on ourselves today, and if there's any wickedness in this area within us, let's ask the Lord to address it. And firstly, I want to define the word judge, okay, in scripture. It's the word krino in the Greek, and it's literally talking about to separate or to distinguish. It's talking about to condemn or to decide or to reject, all right? Uh, so it's really making a decision about something, making a judgment about something, okay? It's a verdict in favor of or against And you see, what tends to happen is we tend to make judgments prematurely, right? And that's to do with prejudice, isn't it? It's a pre-judgment, pre-judgment, okay? We're deciding without having all the facts. I want to give you a biblical portrait of the judge critic so we can look at Luke. So Luke and Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at verse 9 through to 14. Verse 9 through to 14, the Bible says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So they looked down on other people. Okay, and we still have them today, by the way, the modern day Pharisees. Right. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, This man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. I love this parable because it's such a picture of the judge critic. You see, whenever you come to God in prayer, You can't come to God boasting in the flesh. The Bible actually tells us and says that no flesh shall boast in my presence. And yet often we are more confident in prayer as we reflect on all the wonderful deeds that we have done. So the starting point of becoming a judge critic and having that as part of your identity is actually self-righteousness. It's where we look at our own deeds and based on what we've done, we are more confident in the presence of God, right? How do you view other people and how do you view yourself? I love the way Jesus unpacks this parable because he literally starts off by talking about this person, okay, who was very pharisaical and this person had a certain self-concept, right, and was based on their works. It was based on their righteousness and because of that, they were confident in God's presence. But that self-concept will always affect how you view other people in relation to yourself. Right. And that's what we see here. And we end up seeing that this person did not go home justified. It was actually the other person who was authentic and actually acknowledged where they were at with God. In Jude chapter one, verse 16, it says, these people are grumblers and fault finders. Those two go hand in hand, by the way, when you're a strong grumbler, one who's always complaining and groaning. I'll unpack that word a bit later on. You become a fault finder. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. We see a number of things here when we unpack Jude 1 verse 16. We see that there are different types of judge critics. There's the judge critic with a low self-esteem right, who has to always put down other people in order to feel good about themselves, right? They put down other people morally, they put down other people intellectually, so they tend to criticize so that they feel good about themselves. Can you see there's always comparison that's made when you become a critical person, okay? But then you also have the other type of judge critic who's conceited, right? They've got a higher estimation of themselves than they ought. And so they end up boasting. The Bible here talks about it. They boast about themselves, right? And then they also flatter other people to their own advantage. And this is interesting because when someone who's got a critical spirit then praises you, you know like you know like you know that there's an ulterior motive. Because you can't have a rotting heart, right? A heart that is rotten right? But out of it comes good things. So when you've got a rotten heart that is a critical spirit, when you then praise people, maybe you're praising them so that you gain something. You know the kind of people I'm talking about, okay? So it's interesting when you unpack this, it gives you a powerful portrait of the judge critic. So here are some examples of critical statements that people make, right? She can't control her kids. You hear people saying that. She can't control her kids. Oh, a color blocking is awful, right? Who are you to say that? People have got different tastes, okay? Oh, he's such a terrible preacher. What are you like? Are you a perfect preacher, okay? In Philippians 4 verse 5, it says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Isn't that a powerful statement? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. In other words, your gentleness should be a part of your personal brand. Your gentleness should be a part of your identity. Your gentleness should be what you are known for, right? That's exactly what the scripture is saying here. Yet sadly for many believers, they're known for their self-righteousness. They're known for their critical spirit. That is not part of your identity. It's a pseudo-identity that comes from a place of brokenness. And I'll unpack that in a moment, okay? In Colossians 4 verse 6, it says, Let your speech always, not sometimes, always be with grace. As though seasoned with salt. What does salt do? It brings out the taste, doesn't it? Okay. So that you will know how you should respond to each person. What I find amazing about this is it doesn't just say, so that you should know how to speak to each person. So that you should know how to respond to each person. When you're the one initiating a conversation, okay, very often you do it in the spirit that you want to, right? But when it comes to responding, it's a different story. Because... I can respond to your kindness, but how do I respond to your anger? You see, often when it comes to responding, we don't really respond, we react. And the Bible here is saying our speech should be full of grace when we are responding to people. People who might speak harshly to us, people who might discriminate against us, people who might speak with anger towards us, people who might be bullying us. The Bible says, let your speech always be with grace, which is the opposite of the judge critic. All right, this is our true identity in Christ. This is our true identity in Christ. We are known as gentle people. We are known as gentle people. Okay, let me share with you some 10 distinct gaps in the life of the judge critic. Okay, this is how someone becomes a judge critic. The judge critic has a distorted view of God, has a distorted view of God. How you see God, your view of God, affects. how you treat people around you. If you see God as gracious, if you see God as full of love, full of mercy, if you understand that mercy triumphs over judgment, that's what you will carry because that's what you've received into your own life and you will show that to other people. In the book of Psalms, 145 verse eight, it says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and, and great in loving kindness. That's how he's described. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. You see, the judge critic is quick to anger, right? The Bible says, you know what? Be slow to speak, okay? Not quick to speak. Be slow to speak in the book of James, right? Be slow to anger, okay? Luke 4, verse 22, and all were speaking well of him, talking about Jesus, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. Jesus was known for his gracious words, right? And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son, right? That word gracious, it's the word in the Greek karitos, and it literally means favor and kindness. Key question, are you known for favor and kindness coming through in your words, or are you known as the judge critic, all right? Secondly, the judge critic often has a root of bitterness. See, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, okay? What happens when we fall short of the grace of God? What happens when we don't fully utilize the grace of God, right? When the grace of God is of no value to us. It goes on to say, and that no bitter root grows up, to cause trouble and defile many. You see, when you've got a root of bitterness in your life, it will defile people. How will it defile people? I believe primarily by the words that come out of a place of bitterness, you see. Maybe there are people you are resenting right now. Maybe there are people you have not forgiven right now, right? What happens? You punish them. And the way you punish them often is you become critical towards them. Just think of it. You find that a lot of people who've grown up with fathers who didn't treat them them well fathers that rejected them or mothers that rejected them they transfer that to authority figures and they become so critical towards authority figures right and there's now a root of bitterness that was primarily toward that parent that ad- that abandoned them right but it's now being transferred to authority figures and you wonder why is this person always criticizing people in authority okay they've got a root of bitterness that is in them. They don't know how to relate properly to authority. They've got a root of bitterness and it's now defiling many. You see, first it defiles you, but the more you speak, the more you defile other people. That's why I sometimes wonder, why do people say things to other people? Gossiping, right? Saying things to other people instead of dealing with the person who they've got an issue with. Be careful if you've got a root of bitterness in you and it's become part of your identity. It's so subtle. But the more you speak to people, the more you speak to people, you find that you carry that critical spirit, the judge critic, and you end up defiling other people and they carry your offense. Watch out for it. Watch out for it. Okay. The judge critic often has unresolved anger stemming from unforgiveness. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Unresolved anger stemming from unforgiveness. Okay. When you are angry, you tend to blame others and then you seek to punish them. You know how, you know how anger works? It starts off with frustration, doesn't it? Okay. Every single person in the world, typically we have about 20 to 30 things that frustrates us each, each day, 20 to 30 things, right? So if I pour milk into my tea in the morning and I see that, oh, I taste my tea and I see that the milk was off, for example, right? It can be frustrating right? And then I get into my car and I'm now driving to a client and I realize I forgot to fill my tank with fuel, right? But I'm late for a client. That's another frustration. Typically, people will have about 20 to 30 frustrations a day. Now, you can keep it as a frustration or it can become anger. How How does it become anger, right? In a split second, you blame. So you shift from frustration to blame, right? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I shouldn't have sent him to go and buy some milk. I've always told him that he needs to actually check the sell by date, right, of the milk. Now the milk is off. So you attach blame. And I've noticed there's certain people who are very quick to blame other people. They don't look at themselves first, but it's always someone else's fault. And then from blame... You shift very, very quickly to he deserves to be punished. You know what I'm talking about? So your spouse arrives from work, right? And they say, oh, you know what? My boss was really nasty to me, you know? I just, uh, it was so frustrating the way he spoke to me. And what are you saying? Yeah, you see, you know what? Yeah, that's what happens in life, Mm -hmm. right? Because your mindset is they deserve to be punished. All right. Oh, you know what? I bumped my car and there's now a scratch in my car. Yeah, you see, that's what happens in life. Okay, you are glad that something negative has taken place in their lives. Right. You're like, I didn't do it. But hey, you know what? What goes out comes back. Right. You want them to be punished. And then you move very quickly from there to I will punish you. I will punish you. And there are different ways in which we punish people. There was a particular lady from Boeing some time back. She learned these principles and she said, you know what, Um, I'm often angry with my husband, angry with my kids for not listening to me, but um, I don't go out and punish them. And she was asked, what do you do then? She says, I just ignore them. I carry on with my thing. They do their thing, I do my thing. Can you see? She learned very quickly that, oh, that's a way of punishing someone, okay? You withdraw emotionally. You ignore them, right? You don't give them the undivided attention you would ordinarily have given them. Watch out for that. Sometimes what happens with the judge critic is they become an angry person, but it's because they've been so frustrated with certain things in their life, and then they blamed other people for that. And the way they punish those people is, let me criticize you, right? I'm not happy with you, pastor, because you don't visit me enough. You don't care about me enough. But you know what? I'm not gonna tell you directly. I'm not gonna give you that feedback. The way I'll punish you is I'll gossip about you. The way I'll punish you is I'll become your judge. I'll become a critic. It happens so much, right? So watch out. Are there people that you have not forgiven, right? And you're now punishing them in a very subtle way? Can be directed to spouses, can be directed to bosses, can be directed to pastors, children, right? Watch out for that. The fourth characteristic of a judge critic, it's a gap that's in their lives is that they've got a root of pride, a root of pride. And what's so sad about the root of pride in our lives is that uh, often we don't spot it, okay? Pride is very, very deceitful, very, very deceitful. okay? The judge critic will overestimate himself, will overestimate himself. that's conceit, and will underestimate other people, right? So we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge other people by their actions, right? So we'll be gracious towards ourselves because we're saying like, you know what? Yeah, but I intended to do so. But the way we judge other people is we don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't say to ourselves, I'm sure he intended to, but just wasn't able to. Okay, that's what tends to happen. The reality is that we don't know their heart motive. One of the quickest ways of overcoming being a judge critic is understanding that I don't really understand your heart motive. The way God judges us, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, he examines the heart. He examines the mind. That's how he judges. But you know what? I can't really judge you because I don't know what's going on in your heart. All I'm seeing is your behavior. That's all I'm seeing. Okay, we don't know what's happening in people's hearts, yet we are criticizing them all the time, all the time. Okay, let's learn to extend grace to other people. The judge critic is self-righteous. The judge critic is self-righteous. In Romans 10 verse 3, the Bible says, For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. That's such a, a powerful statement there. That's such a powerful statement, you see. The judge critic tends to establish a righteousness of their own. They come up with their own righteous standards. And I'll talk a bit about this a bit later on. And then they judge everyone else based on that. What the Pharisees used to do is they would give people all sorts of difficult laws that no one could keep, right? And then they judge them based on that. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My question to you is, if you're a judge critic right? The the standards you are placing on the people around you and how you are measuring them, right? Is that a burden that has come from the Lord? or Are you projecting your own convictions onto other people so that you've got more things to criticize them about? That's what judge critics do. You see, it's part of their identity to criticize. So they keep raising the bar so that they've got something to criticize you about, okay? And you remain in this prison, but it's not a prison that has come from God, okay? It's a prison that has come from the judge critic, okay? The sixth thing, it's a gap in the judge critic, is the judge critic does not have a revelation of God's grace. I like what Rick Warren said, when you've experienced grace and you feel like you've been forgiven, you're a lot more forgiving of other people. You're a lot more gracious to others, If someone is a judge critic, you're guaranteed that they don't have a full revelation of God's grace. If you're a judge critic today and that's a part of your identity, it's so, so important to say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, thank you that you've been so gracious toward me. And you fully receive that grace from above. And I'm telling you right now, that's what you begin to carry. You impart who you are. You impart what you carry. You cannot give out what you haven't received. If you're struggling to give out grace toward people, maybe you haven't received it fully yourself. You're not meditating on the grace of God, okay? Seventh, the judge critic tends to set up their own standards of righteousness And then they judge others based on this, okay? And that comes from what I've just been saying, okay? What measures are you putting on other people? Is it a measure that the Lord has placed on them? Or is it just your own measure that you've made up, okay? The judge critic number eight is often deeply insecure, needing to put others down in order to feel superior. They want to feel superior morally. That's a common one. Okay. They want to feel superior financially. Okay. If they're feeling bad about their own parenting skills, what do they begin to do in order to feel better? Right. They begin to say, oh, but have you seen what's happening with those kids over there? Okay. Just so that you feel better. But you know what? You get addicted to it. You get addicted to criticizing other people because your source of well-being is let me put down someone else instead of your source of well-being being being, let me go to Jesus let me drink from him right so that I will never thirst again all right that's our source that's our sustainer okay the judge critic is often a know-it-all they're often a know-it-all be very careful be very careful about placing of placing yourself as a teacher that you know what, I'm an expert in this, I'm an expert in that, okay? You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know everything. You can also relate to people by asking them questions, saying, please, can I pick your brain? Please, can you help me out? Remember the mark of maturity. Maturity is seen in interdependence, not independence, okay? Interdependence, where I can say, I've got a weakness in this area, please, I need to pick your brain, right? And you can say, hey, Paul, can you help me out? You're an expert in this area. Please, I need your input. That's so, so important. Do not be a know-it-all. You don't have to have all the answers, all Right? Okay? He often becomes dependent on his criticisms as a source of Power. So you feel more powerful. You know those people. The moment they're explaining something to you, let's say you ask them a question or two, they they literally change their posture. Okay. Oh, I can now teach you something, and you can see that you, their identity is in their intellect. Their identity is in the fact that I know something that you don't know. All right. In James three verse one, it says, um, "Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly." All right. This is so important to understand this. So I might position myself as a marriage coach, for example, like I will do these courses. I'll write these books on marriage. Right. But I'm fully aware that, you know what, when it comes to marriage itself. Right. And how I am as a husband, because I've positioned myself as a teacher in this particular area. Guess what? I'm going to be judged more strictly. I'm going to be judged more strictly than most people. The Lord one day will say, but Paul, you preached this. You said this to people, how were you with regards to that? Now, one of the advantages of teaching on something is you gain more knowledge, right? And when you gain more knowledge, hopefully you change yourself, right? But if you're teaching and preaching all sorts of things, but not practicing them, watch out for that, okay? So not all of us should be teachers, okay? We shouldn't rush into it, like I'm the expert in this subject, okay? When we then teach, we must teach from a place of humility, Okay, why? Because when you're teaching on a particular topic, you are actually exercising judgment. You know, you're actually exercising judgment on that particular thing, right? You're literally saying, People, we must do this, okay? People, you have failed in this particular area. You're positioning yourself as a judge on the matter. So, again, watch out for that, all right? So the danger of being a know-it-all is that you can also end up trespassing in the spirit. I, you, you begin to give advice to people beyond your experience and your knowledge, okay? You also begin to rebuke leaders prematurely. This is so important to understand, right? Um, I still remember years ago, we were in a particular ministry, and I remember I would, I would find fault in certain things that were happening, okay? Uh, that's really what it was as opposed to saying, oh, I just want to give you guys feedback, right? I would be like, "Mm, you know what, we must do this differently. And I think we should do this differently. And you justify it, you know, in your mind, you're thinking, hey, I'm trying to improve things, right? Uh, But the Lord challenged me and says, Paul, you must be careful that you do not trespass in the spirit. In other words, that's not your role and responsibility to correct everything. Paul, I'm giving you a blueprint for what church ought to be like because of the thing that I want you to build, years from now, okay? This is not for now. This is not for this particular church. This is for something you are going to build. You see, sometimes God will give you a revelation, right, of what you are going to build, but then you try to apply it prematurely. That's why I often say to people, you know what, this idea you have, maybe it's something that's burning in your spirit, but maybe it's actually not for us. Maybe it's for a ministry you're going to birth, okay? Have you ever thought of that? You see, what we tend to do is we get revelation from the Lord, but then we become a judge critic because we're not fully familiar with God's purpose for our lives. That maybe is giving us revelation in seed form. Remember, certain visions, certain visions are not for now. They're for later on. Do you remember certain visions? Like in the book of Daniel, it says this vision was sealed. Why was it sealed? Because it was not for now, right? So watch that in your life, okay? Be careful of trespassing in the spirit. In 1 Timothy 5, Verse 19, the Bible says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder. We're talking about an elder in the church, right? Unless it is brought by two or three witnesses, right? Unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. What is this talking about? Just because you see something on the internet that is negative about a particular pastor, don't just fall for it and say, everyone, do you realize this pastor is like this and this and this? No, right? Uh, There needs to be two or three witnesses, you need to know that this thing is factual. Now, we've taught before on things like false ministries, right? Because it was my duty to explain to you that, you know what, these are things to look out for. It was my duty to empower the flock to know, okay, these are true guys. These are possibly false guys, right? But it's not something we talk about every day. We want to be known as a ministry. We want to be known for what we stand for, not for what we're against, all right? It's not our business to now be the church watchdogs, you know, church police, You know, uh, these guys are bad. These guys are good, you know, every single day. No, we're not the judge critic, right? Um, So again, watch out for that. Now, are we saying we must never say anything negative about any minister and so on? No, because the Bible here goes on to say, but those who persist in sin, should be rebuked in front of everyone so that the others will stand in fear of sin. In other words, when ministers fall, we don't just say, Oh, yeah, just carry on ministering to us. Yeah, I'll just do your thing. Oh, okay, you want another wife. Ah, oh, it's fine. Feel free. Oh, you're greedy and you're crooking people. Oh, oh, okay, it's okay. No, right? We still address it, but we make sure we're doing it with gentleness and with humility. And we're not now the church watchdog who's the judge critic. Amen. That's a pseudo identity. It's not our role. It's not our responsibility. Right. Um, and then the judge critic often has a hardened heart with love that has grown cold. You see, one of the things about love, the Bible says love is patient. That word patient is the word in the Greek makrothumos. And I've taught on this before. Makro meaning distant or far right? Thumos meaning suffering. So it's long suffering. Love is long suffering, okay? That's what love is like, right? Um, A mom who loves her little baby, she keeps getting up in the night, feeding the baby. Doesn't matter how many times the baby is crying, okay? And dads can also get involved in that. But the point is, why does she do that? She loves that baby, right? What does the love look like? Long suffering, okay? Can experience the pain of a sleepless night for long right? That's endurance. And that's the same as us. If we want to break out of this judge-critic mentality, it's important for us to walk in love. The judge-critic sometimes is loving, maybe to a few people, but very often they've hardened their hearts and their love has grown cold, okay? Did you used to be a very sweet person, a very kind-hearted person, but then life happened? You see, there are things in life that will harden our hearts, Sometimes our hearts become hardened because of marriage issues. Sometimes our hearts become hardened because of things in ministry, okay? People didn't appreciate our service and what we did for them. So our hearts grow hard. It can happen even with pastors. People are not tithing. People are not giving. Hey, we call this meeting and no one pitches up. Your heart can grow hard. Please make sure it doesn't. Make sure it doesn't. Ask God to soften your heart. And what's interesting is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all, love each other deeply. I love that. Love each other deeply. Okay? I'm going to do a whole teaching on how we are lovers of people. That's central to our identity. Okay? Love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Do you know what this is showing me? When you love someone... You don't become the judge, critic toward them, right? There's certain mistakes they make, but you can actually look past those particular mistakes, all right? Uh, um, you, love covers over a multitude of sins. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Do not be a fault finder. You see, what happens is when your heart grows cold toward people and becomes hardened, you literally end up often with a fault finding spirit. What's a fault finding spirit? You know, those people, they never say anything positive about you. Never say anything positive. If you actually trace your last few conversations with them, it's always, you you must change this. You must do this differently. Oh, I don't like that. Or, you know, they'll say to you, "Um, you know what? Stop using a blue pen. Start using a black pen. The day you start using a black pen, they say, you know what? Where's the lid for this pen? They don't acknowledge that you're now using a black pen. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's a fault-finding spirit. and, And some of you might be bound by it. Look at yourself and say to yourself, Do my kids now think their middle name is no? Because every time I speak to them, we're not joking around, we're not saying positive things, we're just saying, no, 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 no. Right? And they start thinking their middle name is no. Watch out for that, okay? The fault-finding spirit. Okay. Now, I wanna I wanna say something at this point. I wanna say something at this point, okay? The criticisms of a judge critic are part of a power game to build and maintain his esteem, okay? The criticisms of a judge critic are part of a power game to build and maintain his esteem, okay? If you're a judge critic, very often your source of self-esteem, right, is in how you compare yourself with other people. As long as I feel more powerful because I'm more righteous, I make less mistakes, okay, then. I will continue to criticize and it becomes this cycle, doesn't it? Okay, Um, and so the way you maintain your position of power is through putting people down. But here's the sad thing. It's in your mind. It's in your mind. Just because you're putting someone down doesn't mean they're down. Right. Maybe God actually sees them in a more favorable way than you. Just like with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, he had, to put the, he had to put that tax collector down, right? In his own mind, he felt good about it. He felt more powerful. But God said, you know what? This person was more justified than the uh, Pharisee, all right? So just because you're putting people down doesn't mean they're really down, okay? Okay. And um, Please note, please note, the Bible speaks highly of rebuking and correcting with the right attitude. Don't come out of this mess with thinking, I'm not going to say anything negative about anyone because we mustn't criticize anyone. No, the Bible says in Proverbs 28 verse 23, he who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Okay, so we hold this with balance. We make sure that we rebuke people when we need to rebuke them. But we're not coming from a position of, I'm more powerful than you. I'm more superior, okay? The judge critic, it's really not about what they say. It's about the heart attitude with which they speak. You know, am I speaking to edify you? Am I doing it with gentleness and graciousness? Or am I doing it to put you down so that I feel better about myself? Okay, how does the Bible instruct The judge critic, okay? God has put a universal law, right? There's a universal law that's there, just like the law of gravity. It doesn't change, right? It's a law that is linked to the law of sowing and reaping. It's there, you know? What you sow, you will reap, right? The Bible tells us if I sow into the flesh, I will reap corruption, right? But I reap life when I sow into the things of the spirit. So judgment, judgment is something that you sow. And it's something that you also reap. So each time you release judgments from your lips, just remember you're sowing something. Just remember you're sowing something. And at some point you will reap it. In James 5 verse 9, the Bible here says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, right? So that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. This is such an important revelation to have, that God is the ultimate judge. God is the ultimate judge and vindicator. Your vindicator, other people's vindicator. That's so, so important. I find it interesting that it says, do not complain. And it's using a different word there. It doesn't necessarily say, do not judge. It actually even goes on to say, do not complain, right? Or you will be judged. Oh, so complaining here is very similar to judging. And that word complain, it's the word stenazo in the Greek. And it actually means to groan within oneself. Okay, to groan within oneself. That actually speaks of grumbling. It's not necessarily saying you release it with your mouth and you articulate it in words. It's a heart attitude. So it's not just about what I say critically to other people. It's also my thoughts towards those people. You know, it's happened to me before. I still remember leaving a particular prayer meeting years ago. The presence of God was so strong on me, even while I was driving home in my vehicle. And I still remember having a negative thought, a critical thought toward my wife. I don't remember what it was. It might've been, oh, how come she didn't do this? Why did she procrastinate on that? It was one of those types of things. It was just this quick thought I had. And I'm telling you right now, and I'm not exaggerating. As soon as I had that thought, the glory lifted. I literally could not feel the manifest presence of God on me anymore, okay? I didn't say anything. There was no one to talk to. And I'm not the kind of guy who talks to myself, right? So, I literally, like, I was there. I had that thought. Glory lifted, okay? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, right? So, it's to groan within oneself, expressing grief, anger, or desire. It's, it's to groan because of pressure, right? And it's internal and it's unexpressed, right? It's unexpressed. So that's what it's talking about when it's talking about complaining. It says, do not complain, brethren, against one another. When I complain, very often it's against someone. I don't complain about myself, you know? Oh, Paul, why didn't you do this? I don't typically do that. I know some of you do, okay? Often when we complain and we grumble and we groan, it's against someone else, right? Why? It goes on to say, so that you yourselves may not be judged. The assumption here is complaining and groaning is the same as judging. Watch out for that. Okay. Matthew 7, 1 to 5 says this very clearly. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. This is Jesus speaking. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. So what does that mean? In the way you judge, you can actually judge generously. If I say, that was such a fantastic sermon you preached, right? That's a judgment I'm actually making, but I'm judging with favor. I'm judging in a gracious manner, you see? Um, and that's so important to understand. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And it's interesting, it doesn't say who will judge you. I'm telling you right now, you'll be judged from heaven. You'll be judged from earth. You'll be judged from the spirit realm, okay? <laughs> I'll unpack that for you one day, all right? But there are judgments that we make even when we're in prayer meetings, okay? When we're doing spiritual warfare, right? And there are times when we make certain judgments and we're literally saying, bring it on, devil, bring it on, right? And in that very area, the enemy is like, mm, okay, and the enemy begins to make accusations against us in that specific area where we are making judgment, okay? But We'll unpack it when we're talking about warfare. I don't want to go deep into that. All right. But it says here, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So can you see there's a continuum? And then Jesus goes on to give an example of it. He says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? In other words, the small little insignificant things that your brother has done but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye. He's basically saying, dude, you've got big issues and you can't even see your big issues, but you're busy worried about these small things that are insignificant, right? Uh, And this is so true. Judge critics tend to major on the minors. You'll see them writing whole books, criticizing a particular church movement, saying they haven't quite got this aspect of their doctrine right. Yet that guy is on his way to heaven, and when he gets to heaven, you know what? That aspect of doctrine might not have been a big deal to God anyway, okay? But the pride in your heart, right, the self-righteousness in your heart is a big issue, right, when God looks at you. So again, watch out, watch out. Do not focus on the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. And I think it's so powerful when Jesus goes on to say, first take the log out of your eye so that you can see clearly. Why? When you're a judge critic, it blinds you. When you're a judge critic, it blinds you. You cannot see clearly, okay? We want to come to a place where we can say, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see clearly now the log is gone, right? Some people have to begin to take off the log so that they can see clearly, And then take off the speck. And I find it interesting because Jesus is not saying don't remove the speck. He's not saying don't correct your brother here and there. But he's saying first look at yourself. Look at that big log of pride. Look at that big log of self-righteousness. Then you can graciously remove the speck in your brother's eye. Okay. Here's the principle. The more you sow judgment and criticism, the more you sow judgment and criticism, the more blind and deceived You become. So important to understand that. The more you sow judgment and criticism, the more blind and deceived you become. In Luke 6, 37 to 42, it says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by the standard of your measure, it will be measured to you in return. Many of us like to apply this scripture to our giving, right? I want to encourage you. There are different ways of giving. You can give financially, but you can also give with your generosity in words. You can also give by being generous in words. I want to encourage you as you get out up out of this message. I want to encourage you. Be generous with your words. Compliment people around you. Say gracious things. Towards them, okay. Uh, You get what you appreciate. You get what you appreciate. Says for your stand by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. I want to have a gracious standard of measure, okay. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Okay. Will they not both fall into a pit? Okay. By inference, there. If you're a judge critic, you are blind. You are blind. You are blind. You overestimate your own righteousness. You literally can't see your faults, okay? You are conceited. Watch out for that. And I wanna say this, it's been said before that for every cold prickly, that you give someone, you need to be giving them eight warm fuzzies. You see, the way we are as human beings, if you tell me five positive things about myself, and at the same time, five negative things, I will tend psychologically, I'll tend to remember the negative things more than the positive things. That's just how we are wired. So I don't wanna be that person in your life where I'll only talk to you when there's a problem. I'll only talk to you when I have to correct something, okay? I want our relationship to be characterized eight to one, okay? Eight warm fuzzies versus that one cold prickly that I give you. People do not remember the warm fuzzies. That's why if you're having an argument with your spouse, they might say, you said this and this and this negative thing to me. And you might say, yeah, but I also said these positive things. How come you've forgotten? I'll tell you why they're forgotten. It was not eight to one. When it's eight to one, eight positives for every negative, People then remember, the relationship is characterized by the positive, not the negative. In other words, let's overdo it when it comes to the compliments. Let's overdo it when it comes to the graciousness, okay? Because that's what we want for ourselves. Let that be part of your identity. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, it says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly, right? The judge critic tends to focus on minor issues, okay, very often, right? In Romans 14, verse 1 to 4, it says, Now accept the one who's weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who has who he who is weak eats vegetables only, right? The one who eats is not to regard with contempt. In other words, don't look down on the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. You see, a lot of times people will criticize Other people, but God has accepted that person. There's some people who believe, like, you know what, we shouldn't be eating this food or that food and so on. And that's the space they're in. That's where they're at in their journey of understanding God's grace. Now, you might say, but the word of God says you can eat anything. That's fine. That's the revelation you have. But from God's perspective, He accepts these people. Okay. He's not going to say to them one day, oh, you guys, you had this rule about not eating certain things and so on. Okay. He will look at it, but it's not a major issue. Let's focus on the major issues in heaven. That's exactly what Paul is communicating to the church in Rome. There were certain people who did certain things and we would look and we'd think, sure, isn't that a bit legalistic? Why do they still have this? But it's saying, these are brothers who are weak in faith. says, you know what? Accept the one who's weak in faith. That's where they're at, okay? But not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. And so often in the body of Christ, we're passing so much judgment on people who don't believe exactly like we believe. Maybe they're weak in faith in that particular area, or maybe you've missed it, all right? Colossians 2, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. So he didn't just write this to uh, the church in Rome. He also wrote this to the, the church in Colossae. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival. You know, there's some people who believe like they don't believe in Christmas because they say, oh, that's a pagan thing, you know, uh, why are you doing it? And then other people, like many of us, we're like, no, that's a day where we've chosen to celebrate, you know, Jesus's birth. Yes, it might have come from pagan traditions and so on, but we're redeeming it, right? Let's not argue and fight about those particular things, but people do that. You know what saddens me? Let me just say this. What saddens me is, you know that in Russia at the turn of the last century, when Lenin was starting communism in Russia... The Orthodox Church in Russia was literally having meetings discussing how long the tassels of their robes were going to be, the robes of the priests. Those were the kind of things they were debating. I believe that it's time that the church rises up and keeps the main things the main things and says, Lord, what's on your agenda? Let's focus on that. Let's not cause division based on other issues, right? Now, it says, um, I, I want to unpack this because I think it's extremely powerful. Right. Says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Okay, these were festivals, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, of the angels taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Very powerful, okay? Very powerful. So there are severe consequences. There are severe consequences to having the judge-critic mindset, okay? In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10, the Bible says, Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. The children of Israel continued to grumble, right, when they were in the wilderness. And it resulted in many of them not actually reaching the promised land. You will not reach the promised land of your life, the place of breakthrough, the place of abundance, if you continuously complain or grumble. Remember, your words, your words, what comes out of your tongue, your tongue is a rudder. It literally directs your life. Watch out. Because it sets the course for your life. Galatians 5 verse 15 says, But if you bite and devour one another, how do we do that? By being a judge critic. Take care that you are not consumed by one another. When we complain against each other, we are consuming each other. We are weakening the body. When we grumble against each other, we are weakening the body. We are biting each other. I like that imagery that he uses. Okay. Philippians 2 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, some things, no, all things, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked generation, crooked and perverse generation. So it's part of our identity. We prove ourselves as being uh, blameless when we don't complain, we don't keep disputing, and we don't grumble. Among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. We toil in vain as church leaders when we pour ourselves into people, but the critical spirit remains there and they end up biting each other and devouring each other. So here's the principle. We create and destroy with our words. We create and destroy with our words. Another principle that's important is that God is our ultimate judge. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 18, it says, For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. As a judge critic, you might be commending yourself. Very subtly, by criticizing everyone around you, you might be actually saying, You know what? I've got a corner. I've got the corner on this. You know, I'm sorted in this particular area. But just remember, it's not him who commends himself that is approved, but he who the Lord commends. There's so many people out there who've believed their own press. You know, people who believe their own press, right? They literally think they're, they're awesome, amazing. But that doesn't justify you before God. It's when God honors you and thinks you are also amazing. It's when God looks at you and thinks, man, I'm so proud of him. Look how he handled that situation. Okay, it's better. The Bible says it's better someone else praises you than you praise yourself. So watch out for that also. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, it says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. There's always an appointed time to make a judgment. Don't judge prematurely. It's not wise. Okay, wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. Why will he expose their motives? Because that's how he judges. That's how he judges. So you have a lot of people who from the outside right now look so successful and some people are making premature judgments and they're saying this person is the best, the best thing since sliced bread and you, you are useless. But I'm telling you right now on that day, On that day, Jesus will come and he will look and he will say, when we're at what's called the judgment seat of Christ and say, you know what, your motives were really pure when you did this. This is what motivated you. Hey, come, cool. This is your mansion, right? In heaven, right? Uh, Whilst with other people on the outside, they look so successful. But when God looks at it, he doesn't honor what they did. Okay, so that's very important. It says, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. What is that speaking of? The praise that comes from God, his honor from God, his reward from God based on heart motive. I can't give you that right now because I don't know your heart. I don't know your motive, okay? James 4, 11 to 12 says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, can you see it unpacks it in both ways, speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it, right? See, the moment when we get into judge mode, it's almost like we're disempowering ourselves from the doing. I want to have have the grace available to do the word, all right, I want to have the grace available to do the word. But if I'm critical towards people, I'm now positioning myself as a judge instead of a doer. It says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? And who's your neighbor, ladies and gentlemen? Well, someone asked Jesus that particular question, right? And Jesus unpacked it right? You're the Samaritan. And you know, the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't get along, right? And that was an example of, this is my neighbor. You see, sometimes we've got this thing where it's like, I won't criticize my father. I won't criticize my mother, but I'm ah, that pastor. Yes, I can do that, right? Or I ah, am my pastor. My pastor is really cool, but let me criticize all the other pastors out there. Watch out for that, okay? It's not your business. In First Corinthians 4, verse 2 to 5, it says, in this case, moreover, it is required of, stu- of stewards, right. It is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself for I'm conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. When we have this revelation that God is my judge, you see, I can lie to you. I can deceive myself. I can present something to people, an image of something that I'm not, all right? But ultimately, God is my judge. That's what the the name Daniel actually means. The Lord is my judge. When we have that revelation, we walk in our true identity in Christ, okay? There is a biblical way to bring correction. Matthew 18 verse 15 says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private, Okay, the judge critic likes to do things publicly because they want to position themselves against the other person and show everyone else that. Can you see I'm superior? That person is not really that great. Okay, so they want to do that. So it's like negative marketing. Right. That's what they tend to do. No, show him his fault in in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. In the book of Psalms 141 verse 5, it says, let the righteous, let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it, for still my prayer is against their wicked deeds, okay? So I'm open to the righteous person, all right, rebuking me. So finally, what's the solution? What's the solution for the judge critic? What's the solution for the judge critic? I want to encourage you, number one, meditate on God's grace towards you, right? You become what you behold, right? How you view God is of paramount importance, okay? A. W. Toza said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you're thinking about God is the most important thing about you. This is where the work is. It's meditating on God's goodness and how gracious he is so that we can be like God. And how is God? mercy triumphs over judgment, okay? Secondly, meditate on Christ in others, not just Christ in you, okay? This is so, so important, that when I look at you, I'm seeing that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When I'm looking at you, I'm seeing that, you know what, you were redeemed by Christ. When I'm looking at you, I'm seeing seeing someone who was justified by Christ. When I'm looking at you, I'm seeing that you were created in his image. You are God's property. When I meditate on Christ in others, Christ in you, it's amazing what ends up happening, not just Christ in me. Thirdly, make a decision to extend God's grace to others through being gracious. In Proverbs 11 verse 16, it says, a gracious woman attains honor. If you're a woman out there, are you a gracious woman? You will attain honor, the Bible says, okay? The person who has a critical spirit has a limited view of God's grace toward them, right? Fourth, empty yourself of any debilitating rules you've created for others that Christ has not burdened them with. Just empty yourself of those debilitating rules. Ask yourself, have I put all sorts of standards onto other people, but Christ hasn't put those standards onto them? Fifth, yield to God as the ultimate judge and resign from your former role of playing God. Just stop playing God. Just die to that, okay? You will only fully yield in this particular area when you become deeply convinced, deeply convinced that you don't know people's heart motives, that only God knows, okay? Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10, in the Berean Study Bible, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Just face it, face reality that I don't know someone's heart, okay? The Lord searches the heart, It says, I the Lord search the heart, I test the mind to reward a man according to his way, by what his deeds deserve. Okay? So acknowledge that you don't know people's motives. Okay? Other thing that's important is watch the company you keep. Watch the company you keep. The Bible tells us that bad company ruins good character. I know people who've shared with me that they grew up in families where they were so used to this thing where when people leave, right? Visitors come and then they go. Afterwards, the parents will begin to say, oh, did you see how he was saying this? Oh, did you see how much he was eating? Oh, did you just see how he kept on taking seconds and thirds and so on? So they grew up in that environment, seeing this taking place. And now they're in a space where they're always wondering, what do people really think about me? Because people aren't always honest, okay? So those kinds of things pass on, by the way right? If you're surrounded by people who always gossip and always make judgments, very often you end up finding yourself doing the same thing. You think it's normal. You catch that particular critical spirit, okay? Watch out for that. And then finally, ask God to deliver you from the blindness that has caused you to not see your own shortcomings. Say, God, deliver me, all right? In the book of Psalms 139 verse 23, the Bible says, search me, O God and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's so crucial that we ask God to search our heart and deliver us in this particular area. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your powerful word. I thank you right now that you're delivering your people from being the judge critic Father, we pray for forgiveness right now. We thank you for your forgiveness and for your cleansing in this particular area, Lord. And right now we embrace our identity in Christ that is gracious, that is full of grace. May our gentleness be known to all the people around us, Father. May we be known as kind people. May we be known as people who are gracious with their words. We open our heart to you, Lord, and we choose We choose to receive you as the judge. The Lord is my judge, not me. In Jesus' name, we pray. I encourage you, share this message. Keep talking about these things. Have discussions. Repent where you need to repent. Confess where you need to confess because we've got Jesus on our side who's giving us this new wonderful identity in Christ as gracious people, not the judge critic. I want to encourage you, start groups. It's a strategy God has given us. Start groups. Start discipling people who will make disciples so, so important. God bless you.